Working Class Intelligentsia, a podcast for working class intellectuals about Antonio Gramsci. Start from episode one or jump around to whatever episode looks interesting. This episode will be the final part of the Enlightenment series. We'll discuss a class-based materialist analysis of the Enlightenment and the ways in which socialism intends to actually deliver on the Enlightenment promises that capitalism could not. Next week, we'll discuss Gramsci's essay, Socialism and Culture, uh, the one that we've been I've been talking about for a long time. Um, where we'll discuss um, a working-class anti-intellectualism and, and Gramsci's response to it. I think it'll be a good episode, and since this is a podcast primarily about Gramsci, I want to mention that after that we'll discuss an essay of Gramsci's about the Armenian genocide during World War I, uh, just good, important uh, history that we need to know about. After that, we'll take another brief detour to talk about the French Revolution, since the French Revolution was the revolution on which Gramsci and Lenin and and uh, Trotsky and all of the other uh, early 20th century communists based their revolutionary strategies on. Studying the French Revolution will lay a foundation for many of the future episodes and help us understand a short F. Uh, essay in particular that Gramsci wrote with reference to the world historical event. Uh, the essay is called July 14. Uh, I also want to um, mention a couple others that we're going to read. So I have a plan to read an essay of Gramsci's wrote on that he wrote on the importance of studying history. Uh, very relevant to what we're discussing today, and then uh, we'll return to the topic of Italian fascism's roots uh, when we discuss an essay called Socialism and Cooperation. Uh, my plan is to keep reading the essays that he wrote leading right up to um, the Russian Revolution, and once Gramsci starts Uh, Talking about the Russian Revolution, I want to take a break, and then basically we'll come back season two and we'll talk about the Russian Revolution. Thanks. Let's get on it. Marx analyzed human history through the lens of class. He argued ideas often said more about the interests and values of the ruling class than than they did about truth and about reality. The intellectuals of the Enlightenment believed what they said. They believed when one shines the light of reason on everything, the truth is revealed. Marx argued that what they found, though, was what they wanted to find. The Enlightenment was a predominantly capitalist intellectual movement. My guess is that many Enlightenment thinkers were not actually capitalists, nor the children of capitalists, yet whatever the case was, they had access to enough wealth 
to be able to afford a prestigious education. Rarely were Enlightenment intellectuals forced to work 12-hour days, six days a week, in a factory or on an industrial farm. Their ideas were rarely explicitly harmful to workers, but they were frequently hesitant about empowering workers, that is, the masses, with political power. Enlightenment thinkers abstractly believed everyone would benefit from the individual freedom, reason, science, religious toleration, separation of church and state, free trade, enforcement of property rights, equality before the law, and maybe even some democracy. They just didn't really take into consideration that their ideas weren't actually intended for workers, nor did they consider what would happen if the workers grew to believe that they did, in fact, deserve equality in each of these ways. As the capitalist class grew in power, as they implemented their grand enlightenment ideals, the working class was often excluded from participating in the benefits. Equality before the law meant that the king would be held accountable, but in practice it did not mean the capitalists would be held to the same standard as the poor, the gender nonconformists, the people of color. The children of the poor did not have access to the same freedom to pursue a career of their choosing, nor of pursuing a quality liberal arts education as the children of the wealthy. In spite of the high ideals, the economy of America was built with slavery as a central element. Science was even used to justify the slavery and the oppression of people of color. The countries in which the Enlightenment hit strongest were the same countries that colonized the other parts of the world in order to profit off of their natural resources. In America, it was not until 1856 that white men without property could vote, 1920 that white women could vote, and 1965 that people of color could vote, which really wasn't, quote, all people of color. To this day, there remains millions of people either with criminal records or living in U.S. territories without the right to vote for their U.S. representatives. Class analysis is about analyzing power. Enlightenment ideals were presented as if they were applicable to everyone, as if all people would benefit from them. Sometimes the people did, but without analyzing Enlightenment ideas with an eye towards the power relation between classes, one will fail to recognize the disparity of how Enlightenment ideas impact the various people groups. In the Middle Ages, the aristocracy and the church held power. Most of the intellectuals of the Middle Ages resided in the church, and while the Italian Renaissance and the Enlightenment were intellectual movements outside of the church, they often flourished where the church and the aristocracy held less power, such as in ports and urban areas in Italy, where the capitalist class held more power. Once the Enlightenment was fully underway, there were forward-thinking members of the aristocracy that implemented Enlightenment policies, such as Catherine the Great of Russia and Frederick the Great of Prussia. But it was through the scientific academies, mason lodges, 
literary salons, coffee houses, journals, encyclopedias, and dictionaries, and pamphlets that the Enlightenment ideas took hold and were spread. Many of these institutions had ties to the growing capitalist class. While many participating in these circles were not explicitly capitalists, such as doctors and lawyers, they were bourgeois elites whose interests aligned with the capitalist class. But let's wrap this up. The last thing I said I would cover is the idea that socialism intends to be the true fulfillment of the Enlightenment to deliver where capitalism has failed. Socialism as the Fulfillment of the Enlightenment As I said four episodes ago, there is no concise way to define the Enlightenment. But if I were to take a stab at it, I would define it as follows. An intellectual and cultural movement that came out of the growing consciousness that we as individuals, as humans, ultimately desire freedom and dignity. This freedom cannot merely be the absence of governmental interference, for this kind of freedom results only in freedom of the few elites, forcing the rest of society to sell its labor just to survive. True enlightenment freedom would give all individuals a say in the decisions that affect them and give everyone access to the privilege of determining how they would prefer to invest their time and energy recognizing that we are all dependent upon each other for the fulfillment of our needs and our dignity. Not coincidentally, of course, this is the socialist project. Where capitalism promises individual freedom, socialism seeks to both equally distribute individual freedom but also to raise the standard of living for the whole of humanity. Allow me to provide three ways in which socialism hopes to deliver where capitalism has failed. True democracy, freedom from and harmony with nature, and true internationalism. Democracy. Eventually, capitalism brought us representative democracy. Ignore for a moment the fact that capitalism can also flourish under anti-democratic China, for example, but even when capitalism is democratic, it allows billionaires to have a disproportionate voice in the political system. Not only does capitalism habitually allow a very small number of elites to make decisions for the majority of society, it provides a dictatorship in the workplace. In contrast, socialist democracy seeks to democratize society at every level, including the workplace. This is why trade unions and worker councils play such an important role in socialism. We will discuss this in great detail. Gramsci helped lead a factory council movement in Turin. Nature As far back as Francis Bacon, the Enlightenment has desired to develop humanity's mastery over nature in order to free us from the capricious whims of the environment. Ironically, Humanity's hubris and capitalism's profit motive have caused innumerable environmental harms. 
Removing the profit motive as the driving force of society would not remove humanity's hubris, of course, but it could give us a fighting chance against the worst effects of global warming. As I write this, we are seeing the historic heat wave of the Pacific Northwest in June and July of 2021 and floods in Germany and Detroit. The climate models suggest that this could not have happened without climate change, literally not even in a thousand years. Eco-socialism seeks to master nature in a way that recognizes humanity's responsibility to nature as it attempts to live in harmony with the environment. Internationalism Even when capitalism is democratic and eco-friendly, it defines the political subject at the level of the nation-state, manifesting the Enlightenment in the form of colonialism, allowing France, Belgium, Holland, England, and the United States to subject and extract wealth from the rest of the planet. In contrast, socialism cannot become hegemonic without becoming an internationalist movement. The capitalist class will continue to use nationalism to divide the working class in order to hold onto its hegemony. The Enlightenment sought to use reason to bring peace. Marx articulated the Enlightenment spirit when he closed the Communist Manifesto with the call for the workers of the world to unite because they have nothing to lose but their chains. In closing of this episode... After quoting the rhetorical Communist Manifesto, allow me to provide a couple qualifications. World peace is, of course, easier said than done. When socialism seeks to be the true fulfillment of the Enlightenment, I was not attracted to socialism until I realized that one can be a socialist without believing in a utopia with solutions to all of humanity's problems. Socialism is a recognition that society's structure is a product of history, and we have the ability to shape its future into something more democratic. This does not mean we are promised anything divine. This does not mean that world peace is possible. I believe it is safe to assume that we can do better than what we are doing right now, though. I should also reiterate that I have many critiques of the 20th century communism, but we'll have plenty of time to discuss that in the future. It deserves time for nuance. In fact, this first season of the podcast is primarily setting the context. The next season, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, will primarily be focused on the Russian Revolution of 1917. So, thank you for sticking with me. Trust me that we will be returning to this content as we familiarize ourselves with Gramsci's ideas. Let me know what you think, what you'd like to learn, what I could do better. Email me at theworkingclassintelligentsia at gmail.com. The analytics show that 75% of you are listening from within the U.S., but we also have regular listeners in Norway... UK and Brazil. I'd love to hear from you. Join me next time as we return to Gramsci.